Right, here we go. Podcast number five, wow, um, of Muslim Pride, asking Muslims questions that some people might be too scared to ask and also giving a voice to Muslims um, across the country and hopefully one day across the world. So today I have uh, another special guest. I've got um, Shazia Salim. Um, Shazia, tell us who you are, what you do. Assalamu alaikum. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, so I'm Shazia Salim. I am the founder of a company called I Eat Foods. Um, I Eat Foods is the UK's first brand of ethical halal uh, ready meals uh, that are available in supermarkets. Um, so we basically focus on non-ethnic, sort of non-Asian um, or non-typical Asian type meals. So shepherd's pie, sausage rolls, lasagnas, pastas, all sorts of food, like sort of what I would call normal food. Um, and we make that um, halal, um, or we halalify it, and sell it to Sainsbury's, Tesco, and Asda. Um, and we've been going for just coming up to two years now. Um, and we are technically the largest ready meal brand launched by a startup oh, wow. um, ever in the UK, which is, which is quite nice. Fantastic. How do you measure largest? What's the measure for that? Uh, volume sales so what we've in terms of the amount of stores that we've been into um, and the fact that we managed to get it in Sainsbury's, Tesco, Asda and Morrison's um, in in we I think we were in all four in under 500 days which makes us um, which makes us pretty which makes us pretty good great uh, yeah okay Um, so you use the word ethical halal foods now Mm -hmm. when most people think about halal they Mm -hmm. don't think of the word ethical so i was talking (laughs) to justin uh, one of my friends justin he said uh, he he's a farmer and he said well actually i or not he is not a farmer hi justin you might be listening um he's a farmer's son and um he said well when i think of halal i don't necessarily think of ethical so -hmm. can you explain a bit more about that yeah, sure. So uh, halal in its natural sense means uh, the Arabic is the Arabic word for legal or permissible. And there are certain things that are uh, allowed for us to eat and not eat. And, and the way that um, certain things are done needs to be um, uh, needs to be sort of governed by uh, Islamic law. Um, that is a it's a pretty black and white um, discussion around what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Um, interestingly, and not many people know this, is every single time that the word halal is used in the Quran with respect to food, mm. um, it's accompanied with the word dayib. So okay. it's eat what is halal and dayib. That is the actual Quranic instruction. Okay. Um, and obviously we spend a lot of time focusing on the word halal. Um, so pork's not halal, alcohol's not halal, but, you know, everything else uh, pretty much is. Um and then there's all sorts of you know e numbers and it gets into it gets into such uh, crazy detail, um, but dayab, which is fifty percent of the instruction, mm. gets largely ignored. And the meaning of the word dayab is pure and wholesome, and good. Basically, means good. Mm. Um, and uh, in it, from an industrial perspective, if you t- if you to then take that meaning and put it into a kind of a uh, an industrial meaning it's it's essentially it's meaning it's things like animal welfare and traceability and um you know we 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 take it to mean things like making sure that the ind- ingredients declaration's clean so there's no mm. additives there's no preservatives there's no msg like any of that kind of stuff so it's, so it's organic uh yeah no, well is that organics 
yeah, organic's probably the the purest and most extreme end of that of that spectrum. Tayeb's okay. a spectrum, whereas halal is very black and white. Right. Tayeb seems to be a bit of a spectrum. So there is really horrible stuff down one end of the spectrum, and then you've got organic, which is kind of the gold standard mm. at the other end of that spectrum. And then you'd have free range and all that kind of stuff down that end as well. Um, it's very, very, un- as much as I would love to, it's, it's, inc- it was impossible for me to be organic. Um, the prices don't work in terms of what we need for a, for it to be a commercial, um, commercially affordable product for the okay. majority of the Muslims. So, let me just, let me just stop you there. So sure. it's impossible for you to be organic, not because it's impossible for halal to be organic, Correct. but commercially. For, for for us as a business, okay, having a mainstream product that is aimed at the mass market, yeah, it doesn't work commercially. Okay. There is there are um, a couple of uh, I think three now mm. um, halal organic um, protein providers, so people who do chicken, beef, and lamb, yeah, um, that are halal and organic. Um, there are lots of halal suppliers out there who are free range, corn fed chicken, all that kind of stuff. And then there's people that we work with that are certainly down the top end of that spectrum mm-hmm. who make sure they put in extra standards around animal welfare, making sure that the animals are being given a halal diet, um, making sure that the animals are being treated very well throughout their whole life and then at the time of slaughter as well. Um, and then we also do, we also go above and beyond that and making sure that sort of the, the practices that we carry out are environmentally friendly and that, the, the like I said, the ingredients is a clean deck. Um, that we give back a lot of our profits to charity, all of that kind of stuff. So as a as a business, we would like to sit, we would like to think that we are sort of good and wholesome, right? So um, as, as, a, as, a as a business, yeah, exactly. I mean, definitely tell your intentions and and try to put those intentions out into the actions that we do. It's a work in progress. It's something that we're always looking to always looking to improve. But halal and ethical certainly can go together. Right. I completely understand that a most people wouldn't believe that um, or see it, um, and certainly there's a lot of work to be done within the industry in terms of getting halal providers to become more dayab as well. Okay, so and, let's let's talk about that. Getting more halal providers to become more dayab. Now, mm. I would have thought, perhaps naively, so that because they are in the industry of creating halal food, mm. they have good intentions. Um, but perhaps that's viewed with a slightly naive view. So what have you seen? What's out there? Why are they not tayyab? Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the food industry, not just with halal providers, um, but generally. If there's, there's different standards of things that you will get, there will get some people who provide a gold standard in terms of the animal welfare and the way that they look after animals and what they feed them and the practices that they carry out. And there are some people that, well, if there's corners to be cut, they'll cut them. Right. Um, you saw a lot of, you know, you, you, you see a lot of, you see a lot of um, bad practices across the board. It's not just, it's not just in halal. I, I would hope, I would hope that halal providers um, recognize that there's a religious obligation mm-hmm. on them, not just a human obligation, but a religious obligation on them to to go go above and beyond and make sure that they treat animals with respect and due care, mm-hmm. that they're feeding them and looking after them properly, um, not just at the time of slaughter, but actually throughout their whole lives. It's something that I think we would have been encouraged to do, we have been encouraged to do as part of the sunnah. 
Okay. Um, and it's very, very important that we do as much as we can um, in order to maintain this. The difficult, the problem that we have is that the industry is largely driven by the demands of the consumer. Okay. Um, and if the consumer isn't educated enough about this and or isn't prepared to demand it mm-hmm. from their providers, mm-hmm. then the provider's uh, motivation or desire to yeah. go above and beyond yeah. is limited. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, so I, was in a, I had a conversation with a retailer once before we launched where I said, you know, Muslims really care about, you know, traceability and they care about animal welfare and, and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I don't think they do. I think Muslims look at the price. And I think that they're price driven more than they are ethics driven. And if something is cheap, then they'll, it'll sell. Now, is that, just, you, is that just for Muslims? Is that not, You could just say that's for people in a time of a recession or people who are... Yes, he, he had especially noted it over the halal counters that they'd had it there they were especially price sensitive right um and so he said look this is this is the data that we have when we've tried to do something that was free range it didn't quite work um whereas when we you know slash our prices by 50 percent you know it it has a has a very the consumers are very very price sensitive and I don't. He said, I don't think that Muslims care enough about it. To be honest, you right. look at the success of the fried chicken shops. Um, mm-hmm. In you know, we sadly we live in the age of the fried chicken shop where you can get two chicken thighs or five rings, whatever, for for a pound. Yeah. It's like so. How, if you have to think about that properly. Yeah. The the shop has to make money. The the people who deliver the chicken has to make money the the people who slaughter the chicken have to make money the the farm that grows the chicken has to, uh, money. has to make money and you're telling me all of those people make money and you can still sell it on for a pound yeah like something quite something has to give there right something something's the chain not, has to give. yeah something's not quite adding up there but people unfortunately people aren't asking the questions and people really aren't thinking about it they're thinking oh great it's a quid mm-hmm. um and that's why these shops have grown as uh, at the speed that they've grown at in the last five years. Yeah, well, I mean, interesting there. There's two things that are interesting. The the rise of the chicken shop. God, you could have a whole um, episode on that in <laughs> itself. And there, I think there was a Channel 4 series, wasn't there, the chicken shop? Yeah. That t- looked at um, what that was like. Um, so let's just hold that for one second and look at the demand of the consumer. Um, what I am so fascinated about is you said, we make halal sausage rolls. Now, mm-hmm. in my mind, curry and mm-hmm. foods that are naturally, uh, let's say, British ready meals that you might have, um, aren't, aren't halal, but come from lands where halal is widely accepted and widely the norm. Who are the consumers who are demanding halal sausage rolls? So, okay, I mean, gen- generally, our, our cuisine is not what I would call non-desi. Right? Okay, so. Yeah. So Desi, for people who don't know, is, uh, I guess... A, a, Indian a, subcontinent. Yeah, the Indian subcontinent. Yeah, so so we don't make um, uh, a jalfrezi or a korma or any of those kind of things, but we do make sausage rolls, lasagnas, shepherd's pies. The most Asian that we get is we have a, a Far Eastern range, so we do Malaysian and Thai dishes. Okay. Um, we, we, speci- we, 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 we started off with this mission of non-Desi food because... At the time when we launched, the only halal food that you could get in a supermarket was a curry. 
And right. it's like, just because I was Muslim, the way I felt was just because I was Muslim doesn't mean I eat curry three times a day, right? There are other foods. <laughs> I love that. that I'm I... Muslim. I pray five times a day. I eat curry three times the, a yeah, day. Yeah, it's like, and but honestly, I, I don't know if you remember, like you'd walk, you'd walk the supermarket aisles as a kid mm. and you would basically be told that you were either, you were either, you were told that you could only eat really Asian food if you wanted to stick to a halal diet mm. or vegetarian. And if you're not vegetarian, how to stick to a vegetarian diet is incredibly frustrating. Mm. Um, but I remember walking the walking the shopping aisles with my mom and like looking at lasagnas and looking at shepherd's pies and kind of wondering why we couldn't have it. And instead, we kept having to have the samosas, um, the paratas, yeah. the the and these horrible, you know, um, sort of chicken slice type things. It looked horrific. So actually, the things that you would, in a traditional environment, go to a halal butcher and have made at home from scratch. Yeah, and but but even with that, I think you know my parents are first gen. Mm. Um, I think that our parents would struggle to make a authentic shepherd's pie for example back in like <laughs> back in like the 90s i remember giving my mum a swede once yeah and she turned it into a curry like she just didn't know what to do with <laughs> yeah, it yeah, right yeah, it was there. a very nice it was a very tasty curry my mum's a very talented cook but it wasn't quite what it was going for mm. and i i know lots of stories like that where you know growing up sort of 80s early 90s whatever your parents didn't really do that kind of food and if they did it was a bit of a novelty Mm. um whereas but but going to school you know this is where i came from was going to school i'd see the shepherd's pie and i'd see the pasta dishes and i'd kind of be like the spag bowl dishes and i'm like right i really want to have those yeah but i wasn't able to have it you've just you just reminded me of that goodness gracious me uh sketch where it's like i really want the blandest thing on the menu yeah (laughs) i get that i get that quoted to me a lot yeah (laughs) because we obviously we have that issue then because when we try to make the shepherd's pie Mm. If I took a classic English recipe and and made that and just switch switch the meat so it was just halal meat, it probably wouldn't sell very well because even English people would agree with me that the shepherd's pie is a pretty bland dish. Mm. Um, having said that, we did not take it as far as what you could have done, which is sort of curified it um, and eventually made it sort of like a minced keema with some mashed potato on top. That's not what a shepherd's pie is either mm. we had to sort of play around in the middle to try and find the balance that would keep everyone happy um wait i mean your original question was around who 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 wants a halal shepherd uh, sausage roll mm. i we recreated i eat for my generation's sort of needs mm-hmm. um which started very much at university which was you know you're miles away from mum's cooking i wanted to be able to eat the same food that all my friends are eating and i wasn't able to get it that's when the idea started um, but actually, and we've created it for that sort of 20s, 30s generation, um, actually the, the sort of our biggest driver in terms of consumer demand and stuff comes from the younger kids. Okay. It comes from the 10 to 15 year olds because those kids are, their parents tend to be British, so they are third and fourth gen, mm-hmm. um, and to them... They are 100% British. Like they, there's you try and give them a chapati, and they look at you with like some like you've come from another planet. Like it's just, it's it's not within their it's not within their desires at all to want to have any kind of desi food when they're at home. And so we've seen a lot of our sales come from that being driven by 
mums who are purchasing those foods for their kids. Right. Sausage rolls, Cornish pasties, spaghetti bolognese. Those are the kind of things that these kids love. And to be honest, I created it for the, the generation above them, but it's really, really the generation younger that's driving that. We do, uh, you know, we do see some great sales in our generation. It's people who, you know, look, I know how to make a curry, or I certainly have a mum who can make a curry, and it's free, and it's better than what you can get in a supermarket. Mm. What I want to be able to have is a lasagna. Right. Um, is a is a chicken pie is a um, a Thai green chicken curry like those are the kind of things that's not readily available at home. I haven't really been brought up in a house that regularly makes that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and convenience is just as important to us. Just because you're Muslim, it doesn't mean that you suddenly get gifted an extra two hours in the day. Yeah. Um, we have the same convenience needs that everybody else has, which is to if it's typically if you're a couple and you're both of you are working, mm-hmm. um, you know, you want to be able to have a decent quality meal sometimes. And we're not advocating that you have a ready meal seven nights a week, mm-hmm. but on the occasional one or two nights a week where you need a bit of a break and actually don't want to spend an hour in the kitchen cooking, this is a really great option. So do you think, Shazi, there's space in the market for uh, for a halal Greg's? Yes. <laughs> you do. 100%. If I was if I was a student, if I was a graduate mm. and I again at this at this point in time, it's probably the thing I would I would do first. Okay. Okay. I, when I when I was at university just as I graduated, uh, Subway came out and said that they were doing some halal mm. uh, branches and they've obviously gone on to do very well. I think they've got 220 now. Right. Um but that was one of the first things I looked at, at doing was to, to you know, I had the idea and I kind of wanted to get into the industry and I looked at getting my own franchise. Right. And, and unfortunately, I got well. Unfortunately, I got I got a job um, with Peter Jones from Dragons Den, and ended up wanting to to sort of learn a lot from him, and mm. didn't do it in the end. But if I was having my time again, and I was a graduate, um, now I'd definitely have a halal Greg's. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's I I think that'd just be a no brainer outside the university. Yeah. That's a complete no brainer. To do really well. Yeah, I'd do really sausage rolls are our biggest seller. So why why do you think these chicken shops, going back to the chicken shops, why do you think they do so well? I mean, look, I'm not going to lie and say I've never been in one. Like, the, Wow, the, you know, I'm with you on this one. It's, yeah, it's, it, it's tasty stuff, like, you know, and it's, and it's, it, you could, it's certainly the grilled places or the higher, the higher end kind of places do the, who, that do the grill options that mm. you can argue that they're healthy. <laughs> well, you can it's, try, you can try, you can try, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can try and argue that's healthy. I mean, the thing with, the thing with the fried chicken shop is for me is a, is around about convenience. And it is giving Muslims something that is halal and something that is convenient. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that is the layer around, I, I, you know, I, we could, like you said, you could have a whole episode around this, but there's something around kids and that being their kind of hangout spot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it being trendy and a cultural place. You know, back in the day, with, with certainly with black communities, it might be a barbershop. Mm. Right. This is, this is a, you know, um, maybe amongst our generation, it's more of the shisha bars. Like for teenagers, fried chicken shops yeah. seem to be the place where everyone just seems to hang out. Yeah. It's funny. It's actually funny you say that. There's um, near where I grew up, there is a dessert shop. Mm-hmm. And dessert shops are huge in the Muslim yeah, community. It's big. 
And when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, it makes sense because you can't really go to the pub. Or you could, but Diet and Cokes will only get you so far. Yeah. And it's where... a place to hang out. Shisha yeah. bar, shisha, the growth of shisha bars, yeah. fried chicken shops and dessert bars are all about giving especially young Muslims mm. a place to be. Yeah. So um, really interesting. I want to I want to go on that. So a place to be or a place to belong. Um, I was reading about you and you said that you mix two parts of your identity. When you were growing up, mm. where did you feel like you belonged? Did you feel like you belonged in Britain or did you feel like you belonged as a Muslim? What, what was your sense of identity? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I my my parents are very um very pro-British. Mm-hmm. Um, so my parents are Sri Lankan. Okay. Um, they came over here when they were both in their 20s, so uh, mid-60s, and um, uh, mid-1960s, and, you know, have been in the UK longer than they've been in Sri Lanka. And so, and also, uh, I should say, they, they were forced to, they were, they were banned from speaking any other language other than English when they were kids okay. in Sri Lanka. So they're, they're you know, proper sort of, they're proper British. Mm. And um, so when I was growing up, I felt very, very comfortable with my kind of British identity because I'd seen it with my parents and I'd seen it with my families and uh, wider family as well. And um, I felt very comfortable with being British. My parents weren't um, massively observant with Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like I was being told to pray five times a day like I wasn't told to do it culturally we were kind of you know you're not allowed to go to sleepovers and that kind of stuff but it wasn't it wasn't a huge part of our lives um right. the thing that was the thing that was very very clear and I'm really glad the thing that stuck with me as well is um my family my especially from my father um a very strong relationship with Allah okay. in a in a spiritual sense so, you know, he had a very strong and loving connection with Allah and encouraged the kind of conversation with Allah quite a lot. Um, it encouraged trust and reliance on him whenever anything went, was, was not going well. Um, and, and that seems to have, uh, I'm very grateful, it seems to have um, rubbed off of me. Mm. But, but so growing up, it was a bit odd. You know, growing up was, yeah, I'm Muslim, but it, doesn't, it didn't seem to sort of take up a huge amount of my time, my daily life. The British thing was was there. To be honest, growing up, I felt a lot more about trying to fit in with rich kids, oh. when actually we weren't that well off. Because I I was very lucky to get a scholarship to go to a private school. Okay. And that was the thing I struggled with more was how do you fit in with a bunch of kids who have got swimming pools and Ferraris yeah. and you know their parents take them to skiing for the weekend or whatever and my parents are like working five jobs between them to put food on the table. Mm, so your yours belonging was more about a class. Yeah, I, it, that was else. the bigger thing. And, you know, that was the thing about how do I, how do I fit in? Like, how do I, and how do I get myself out of this situation? Mm. You know, how can I work, use my brain mm. to get myself up and out of this sort of class that I've seemed to have been born into? Yeah. And how can I make it easier for my parents? And um, that was the real thing. You, the whole I don't know if this is the same with you, but as as a kid, the whole British Muslim thing didn't really, mm. it it wasn't a huge deal. 
No, it wasn't so much a huge deal. If anything, it was something to be proud of and things, something that people were inquisitive about. Yeah. And I always use Ramzan as the example or Ramadan uh, as the example. So when I was growing up at school, if, if we were fasting, people were intrigued. Like, oh, why are you yes. doing that? What's yeah, that yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think post 9-11, things changed and they yes. changed very quickly. And then post 7-7, yeah. even more so. It was more suspicion rather than Correct. intrigue. Correct. Um, and so that... That's what I had. But it's interesting you say, actually, for you, it wasn't so much about trying to work out whether you're British or whether you're Muslim or British Muslim. It was actually, hey, look, I just need to work out what class I'm in right now and how... Uh, how to get myself out of it. How, like, how, how, how do I it. get... You know, we, we used to have bailiffs regularly frequent our house. We used to have... You know, my dad, like I said, my dad worked two jobs. My mum worked three jobs. Mm. Um, you know, my I was basically brought up by my by my brother, who's ten years older than me, because my parents were always out working. Yeah. Like, and for me, it was kind of like I need to get myself out of this. Yeah. Like, I I can't continue to do what my parents are doing. So one thing I want to I want to ask you about is um, being an entrepreneur mm. and. Um, working for a startup, I get the like entrepreneur um, struggle and those times where things are going to be really hard and mm. you have to really look within. I imagine God or Allah has played a really big role for you Massive. in that journey. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, uh, anyone that's an entrepreneur wants to be an entrepreneur should would, would recognize that it's probably one of the loneliest career paths you could choose in that being the person who the buck stops at mm. means that you have to carry a lot of responsibility and you also have to carry the energy as well. Right. So if anything's going wrong, you can't be the person that suddenly sits in the corner and goes, oh, no, everything's going to go wrong. Like, but, like you, you can't be the person that, that is like having any kind of doubts about anything. Mm. You have to be the person that has a smile on your face that looks everyone in your team in the eye and kind of gives them the confidence that this is going to be okay and we're going to get through it and this is how we're going to get through it. And you've got to have the energy to carry the rest of them because they will draw on your energy. Mm. And we've had it, we've had, you know, we, we've had so many hiccups and problems and headaches along the way. That's and part of the, that's part of the fun, right? The, yeah. You know, I, I'm one of these people that, not probably not relish as a challenge it's probably a bit hard it's probably a bit optimistic but i i recognize that challenges happen mm. and so i'm always okay my my business partner um you know is is take has said that he draws a lot from my energy levels when everything when anything was to go wrong he's the one that's sort of taking from my energy levels because my energy always seems to be quite high. Now, when you come home and you close the bedroom door and you look yourself in the mirror, that's when it suddenly hits you that you actually have nobody to restore your own energy levels because you're, you're going around and giving it to everybody else. But hang on, who's giving me my energy and who's giving me my confidence? And the, the, the one being that, that, um, that does that for me is Allah. Mm. Um, it's God. That's where I get my energy from. That's the only person that I can get my energy from. And, you know, I'll give you a real example. We've had a very big, I don't know if you've picked up, but we've had a very big um, problem over the last couple of months. Oh, yes. I saw on your Facebook page. There's some, yeah, some so, of the supplier, I think it was. Yeah. So we, we, we were actually going through a really great time. We had record sales. Everything was going great. You know, starting to finally, after two years, go, right, I think I'm starting to get a handle on all of this. And um, the, one of our manufacturing partners who we use um, to make the, our ready meals um, 
we're, you know, we're one of their customers. They have a much bigger business. Mm. Um, that business basically fell into some financial trouble and they went into administration um, pretty much overnight. We had no idea that it was happening. We had no idea there was any kind of sniff of problems whatsoever. Um, we found out on the news. Right. So there's me kind of, you know, happy clappy going along. Everything's going great. And then I get a call from one of the team who's seen it on the news. And that was the first we heard about it. And it was kind of like, literally, it felt like the world was coming to an end. Um, because everything stopped. We had to, we, we couldn't produce anymore. Or the stock that we had was the stock that we had left. And that was it. Right. Um, there was nobody else in the UK who could make our food for us. Right. Um, uh, we had, we were down to 25% of the income that we were used to because we only had our pies on shelf, which is made by another manufacturer. So 75% of our income is ready meals gone. Um, we had to let people in our team go. I, I, I hate having to make that call and make people redundant, but we had to do it. Um, and it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible, it's been a horrible couple of months. Now, in that time, you know, typically, I actually would have told you um, when you asked me to do this podcast, I actually would have said to you, you know, I'm not in the mood or I'm not, I'm not in the right place of time. But actually, there's something quite nice about articulating um, the tough times. Yeah. Because it's quite easy to just talk about it when things are going great. But then no one really gets a real picture of what it's actually like. Well, that's the, that's but, the generation we live in right now. Um, if, if you live yeah. in social media, it's let's talk about the good things. What are all the bad everything's things amazing. in between? Yeah, yeah. everything's amazing. If you, if you look, think about people on, and their lives that lead on Facebook, you think everyone leads like this amazing life. But, but actually, things can get very tough. And running your own business is incredibly hard. And there are always challenges. Uh, you know, praise be to God, I'm, we are turning a corner. We've managed to find a manufacturer who can make our food first and actually everything I believe very strongly that everything happens for a reason mm. this manufacturer is, is much better for us than than our previous pe- people so I'm very grateful that that we seem to have been given another opportunity at this and we're either the retailers have been very patient and have allowed us to to have this time off shelf and and have kept our space for us great um and uh we should be back on shelf in the next few months now that that you know you asked me about my relationship with Allah at the beginning of this and it's like that for me is the thing that's kept me going mm-hmm. you know is uh, there's there's a there's a f- famous um saying that if you really truly want to know what it is to rely on on God then start a business and <laughs> it's it, it's so true because there are so many times where you're just you just have to you just have to trust. Like there's, there is, there was a couple of, you know, after we got that phone call about this being in the news and this had happened, and it taken a couple of days to kind of work out, right, what does this actually mean for us? And then it was a Saturday and a Sunday, and there's nothing really we could do till till Monday morning. And I remember being in my pajamas at like three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and I changed pajamas, right. But I didn't leave the state. <laughs> the of, mental like, state pajama- that you're in. Yeah, I didn't leave the pajama state. Like I, I changed my pajamas, but I didn't get out of pajamas um, until Monday morning. Right. I just, I was literally just in in pajamas, on my sofa, watching Friends reruns, um, as my way of kind of just like sulking a little bit. Yeah. There was two days of of pure kind of just indulgence. 
And then I love I love that your your indulgence is pajamas and a friends rerun. Friends reruns, yeah. yeah. There's nice. quite a few McDonald's that happened that night as well. Not not the um, chicken shop, no chicken shop. Not the chicken, no chicken, not, not the chicken <laughs> shop. No, no, we went straight to McDonald's. But it was it was for me it was a very um, it was a t- it was a tough time. It was a tough time when you kind of have everything going great and then it suddenly get completely and utterly out of your control, um, gets taken away from you and throughout that whole time you know your my prayers are so strong and always has been very strong and the conversation with the liars has always been if this is if this business is not good for me and my and my akhira my 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 the hereafter mm-hmm. please take it away from me um if if um if this is not good for my if this is not good for me in any way shape or form please take it away from me um, I'm not precious about this. This is a business that I love and and and, and I want to do because I have good intentions. Mm-hmm. But it, I'm not precious about this particular business. Um, and if it is bad for my for my afterlife, then actually I'd rather you take it away from me. Right. That's a conversation I've had from day one. Yeah. So when this was on the verge of being taken away from me, it's kind of like okay, if this is what is good for me, then fine. Yeah. I'm I'm I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Um, and it's a couple of months of just working out, okay, what is this plan? Like, mm. what is this? What is it that Allah wants me to do here? Um, and there's complete ambiguity. And another phrase I came across during this period, which I really love, which is, um, I don't know, I don't know what tomorrow holds, mm-hmm. but I know who holds tomorrow. Okay. Okay. And so, that's, yeah, that's you, again, God. yeah, for me, it's, that's, that's key. You know, that's like, I have no idea what tomorrow holds. Actually, I have no idea what the next hour holds. Mm-hmm. But as long as you love and you trust the being that holds tomorrow, then actually whatever it holds is fine. Um, and that's that's precisely the attitude I've had. I do believe it's been a test. Um, I hope I hope that my faith levels during it has, has meant that I've passed that test. And I hope that because I've passed the test, we've now been rewarded with actually a very great manufacturing partner. Yeah. Who I'm, who I'm really excited about. Yeah. Well, um, I'm looking forward to seeing things back on shelf. Oh God, me too. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Be, uh, I've got. A, it's been a while since I've had some tagli so yeah. like, yeah, yeah. it'd be quite nice to actually start eating my own food again. But yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, a, yeah, it's been a tough few months, but and and it's been a tough couple of years. Yeah. You know, it's been it's this this business malarkey is not easy. Yeah. But um, but you know it it's the challenges are there and um, I have a, a friend who's just set up a business and he says the obstacle is the way, um, yes. which I think is a nice way of looking at things and saying that actually life you can view life to be quite easy and have things the easy way but it should be a bit harder um, and it's interesting to see the role that religion and God plays in that for you. Um, so I'm just aware of time and we've sure. gone a little bit over. So I wanted to ask you one last question that I ask everyone, um, which is what is the one piece of advice you would give to Muslims today? Oh, geez, really? <laughs> <laughs> just, just one. <laughs> it's, um, that's such a, oh, geez, that's such a tough question. Um, the one piece of advice I give to Muslims generally, hmm. uh, well, it's the one piece of advice I give myself on a daily basis. Okay. And it's probably the only first thing I could say is is try to, it's so important to find a way to connect to our creator in a way that makes sense to, to, to you. 
And, you know, I talk to a lot of Muslims who, for example, don't pray or they um, or they feel that they can't pray because they're doing something that they that, that is shameful to them or they believe would be shameful to God, like they drink or, or whatever, anything. Mm. And they're not they're not they don't feel that they're practicing the religion properly. And um, I always say to, I always say to them and I always remind it to myself is that there's lots of different ways to connect to God and but whatever we do is is we need to find a way to be able to do that um it could be through prayer it could be through it could be something as really simple as just talking to him yeah. it could be something really simple as being kind to your parents um or kind to an animal or you know throwing your rubbish away rather than throwing it on the floor like anything like that as long as you're doing it with god consciousness mm-hmm um, and and with the intention of of being able to please him, then then that's something. Yeah. Um. And and increase. And if you do that on a small level, every day, um. Eventually, you'll. It's like a muscle. Like eventually, you'll build up that kind of gone that God consciousness. Right. Um. And you're able to then you're able to then um. I think or hopefully lead a happier and more satisfying life because you're doing things actively as being uh being Muslim. And being and choosing to be Muslim and choosing to be pleasing to your choosing to be pleasing to your Creator. Yeah. Um. So that's that. I mean, uh, that's that's, the, that's the piece of advice you'd give. You you would say find your way to connect, whatever way that might be. Correct. That's a really great way of simplifying it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um. Right. Um. Shashi, so where should people go if they want to find out more about I Eat and about you? Um. So the website is ieatfoods.com. That's um, I. The letter I. The letter I. So I stands for Islamically. Mm-hmm. So um, ieatfoods.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and our Facebook page is probably our most active social media platform. Um, and that's facebook.com forward slash ieatfoods. Okay. Um, and I'm on Twitter as well. So Shazia F for Fatima and then Salim, S-A-L-E-E-M. Right. There you go. Right. So there we go. Episode number five of uh, Muslim Pride. Um, Shazia, thank you very much for sharing your story. Pleasure. Thank you for having me.